You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey there, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. Welcome to another episode of The Melting Podcast. I'm A.F. Grappin. I am Aaron Gasmark. And we're awesome. Indeed. You we who, are. Well, you know who else is awesome? Who? Eric Scott DeBee. Ooh. I like his name. He has a great name. He is a great guy. And do you know why we have him on the podcast today? Why would that be? Well, because he's got a book release. Of course. This Only is, natural. Yeah. Well, this is another re- release from the Ed Greenwood group, the Hellmaw setting. Oh, more Hellmaw. More Hellmaw. So Yay! here's our interview. Hey, lexiconosaurs and word chefs, this is your head uh, chef, A.F. Grappin, and I am here for another release for the Helma uh, setting in the Ed Greenwood group. This is for book three, Blind Justice, by Eric Scott DeBee, and uh, we have Eric right here. Well, I, I have Eric right here with me. Hi, Eric. Hi, how's it going? It is great, and it is a pleasure to have you on here, sir. Well, thank you for having me. Um, we don't do a whole lot with... Super intros. We can get into some of your other works in a bit. But first, I just want to say, tell me about Blind Justice. So Blind Justice is the third novel out from the Helma series. And the books all take place in roughly the same setting and have similar themes, but are not necessarily connected to each other. So you can read one without having read the others. Although books one, which is... Your World is Doomed by Ed Greenwood. Got to read it just for the title. And then Dragon Dreams by Chris Jackson, which is book two, are definitely worth your attention, and you should check them out. Blind Justice, book three, by yours truly, is what I like to call an urban fantasy police procedural, or more pop culture It's Criminal Minds with Demons. So you have an FBI profiler who is... Reaching the end of her career, it's kind of sabotaging her family life, and she's just seen too much death and suffering. And she starts having these strange visions that come upon her when she gets to crime scenes. And she realizes that the visions are not of the actual uh, victims um, being murdered, right? which is what she would expect or what you would think if you were familiar with the genre, but um, of the victims themselves committing some sort of crime. And so she investigates this and finds eventually that she's on the trail of this demon assassin that goes around killing people for some kind of perceived uh, slights that they've done against society. And so the, the question ultimately becomes not whether she can stop the demon, but whether she will stop the demon. So it's a fun little morality uh tale. And it talks a lot about uh, modern evil and uh, humans' propensity for it. It absolutely did. I had the privilege of reading an advanced copy of it, and yeah, that, well, it just struck me funny that you said fun and morality in the same sentence. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is extremely... <laughs> well, when I say fun, <laughs> I mean that from an authorial point of view. Oh, okay. We, okay. we take great delight in things that are dark and terrible <laughs> and gory and horrific absolutely that's fun for us yes it is um so tell me a little bit about your main character marie i mean you already mentioned she's towards the end of her career she's obviously having some some issues with what she's visualizing and just in general dealing with 
confronting demons basically. Um, but why, why her? Why was she the character who just stuck out to you? Why is she the one that you made the protagonist of this story? That's a really good question. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a spawn of where do your ideas come from? Mysterious author. Yes. Um, and I don't know. She just kind of popped into my head. I, I wanted a woman as my protagonist because it's very important connecting to the uh, antagonist, um, the demon, who is a woman as well. If you see the cover of the novel, that's not Maria on the cover. <laughs> that's the demon on the cover. I actually haven't seen it yet. I need to go. Oh, look. it is. It is fantastic. I'll send you a link if you can't find it yourself. Oh, I'm sure I can. And I'm sure you'll probably post up a link so that anyone listening to this will be able to see it. Oh, yeah. I, I link the wazoo out of everything. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to so, get everybody looking at you. So I wanted that female voice. And that's partly because I like writing about female characters. It's more intriguing to me than writing about male characters. I am a man. I've been a man for, well, 32 <laughs> years now. And I, I feel like I know what, what it's like to be a man. So I like to immerse myself in a different viewpoint. And that involves a great deal of research and listening to people and hearing their stories. And I, I tried to get that right with Maria. And um, I, I made her Hispanic in origin because I wanted to – well, I, I didn't want to write another novel about a white person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean our genre is full of novels about white people. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not that that's, that's necessarily a bad thing. But having the expansion and range of voices and stories is important to me. And so I wanted her to be a somewhat more diverse perspective. And um, Latina characters in police procedurals and this sort of genre are often stereotyped to be a very specific thing. They're stereotyped to be, you know, kind of fiery or they're stereotyped to be, you know, very exotic. And I, I didn't want to do that. She's just a pretty normal person. Mm -hmm. just, she goes about her stuff. She doesn't act out in weird, stereotypical ways. And um, But her heritage is still important to her, and it comes out in several places in the novel. And, and so I wanted to try and, try and capture those stories. Um, and, I mean, that's just a secondary focus. I just found that interesting, and so that's why I made the character that way. Mm -hmm. And um, there are other things about her that are uh, significant to the uh, – to the novel, she uh, is, well, she's a lesbian. And I thought that was important as well because, again, we have a lot of stories about straight people. Mm -hmm. I thought this would be an interesting thing to explore. And uh, her whole family setup and dynamic is, is very um, – it was very interesting to explore throughout the novel. So I did all those things purposefully because I thought that would make the character more appealing to me as an author, and it did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but definitely I, I, that's that's the way I can answer that question. I don't know; it just seemed right, yeah. you know. Well, I can say as a reader, she was extremely. Um, it was just very easy to sink into her and just be intrigued with her. Um, and oh, good. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not a Latina woman either. <laughs> um, I am uh, actually part of the LGBTQ community. So, oh. so I was. It's it, honestly, I think that just about anybody will be able to connect with her on some level, except your stereotypical, you know, white hero man. But even well, I so, don't see why they yeah, wouldn't be able. Yeah, to. but just I mean, she, she was just so real. 
I honestly Good. feel like she's somebody I could meet just about anywhere. But who she is does, like you said, come into play in the plot, especially the first uh, <laughs> the first of the mysteries that she's inv- investigating, which is in the South, which mm-hmm. being – I actually live in the South myself, and there can be a lot of prejudice. So seeing yeah. her deal with that while just trying to do her job and that being an obstacle, that had to be – I don't know if I would say that seems like it would be hard to write, but – you were just able to really pull tension from everywhere for her. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was certainly my intent. And and, and part of that is with um, with her partner, mm-hmm. uh, Dante Allen is his name, um, might have something to do with the DC character. I don't know. Just saying. <laughs> um, and Moving along. So, and who is, who, is, who is black. So in that first interaction with the police in the south they have that certain racial tension which of course he actually plays up a little bit Mm -hmm. because he finds it funny yeah and maria purposely pointedly says please don't do that and he says what you know i love trolling people and she says really don't antagonize these people (laughs) and and so i i thought that was just that was a a good moment that I wanted to play with. There's all kinds of tension in this novel. Yes. This is what happens when I try and write something in the modern day. I pull in all those, um, the, the racial tensions and the, the sex tensions and the gender tensions and sexuality tensions, because that's the world that we live in. These are important issues. And I wanted to try and weave them into the book. Definitely. Well, I mean, I am also a fantasy author primarily, but I think we don't even see enough within the fantasy genre of these real life tensions that we could be pulling in. It just, I don't even, I so rarely see racism or it's going a little more common to see um, sexuality issues in fantasy, but I would like to see a lot more of the racism and stuff, at least in what I read. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly think I should be writing more of that stuff, but, you know, moving along. <laughs> It's yeah. a, it's, well, I, I think it's – people come to uh, reading and uh, to fantasy particularly for, for various different reasons. Some people just want an escape, and if they're dealing with you know, racism and sexism and homophobia on a regular basis in real life, they don't necessarily want to see that in their books that they're reading to get away from that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people who specifically read for that social commentary stuff that's going on. And I mostly write for the social commentary um, sort of audience. Mm-hmm. So and like I said, um, when I write stuff set in the modern day, I can't not do that because I care very deeply about those things. And it just it would come out in my writing whether I intended it to or not. Yeah, it uh. It, it makes me wonder just how <laughs> how intense is your day to day life if you're if you're <laughs> dealing with all this stuff and being a you know just thirty something white male you're you're almost I don't want to say you're seeing this from an outsider's eye but you're you're addressing this when <sighs> I don't even know how to put it is I don't want to say it's risky because it's not but you, obviously you're making the point of addressing these things from a point of view that is not your own like i said with maria and dante being some of your main characters oh i'm absolutely addressing this from an outsider's eye i am the definition of straight white male privilege that is me like i am that guy i'm even middle class which is a hard thing to hit in today's economic climate but yeah that's not the point <laughs> um i'm absolutely coming at this from an outsider's perspective 
but it's an outsider's perspective that I, I, I try to keep informed by listening to people and, and, and seeing different stories that people relate on social media or through books or through articles or uh, interviews on TV and such. So, I mean, I, I just feel like that's, that's an important thing for everyone to do, to try and capture a breadth of experience. There are plenty of straight white people in the novel. Yeah, most of them are, are minor characters, um, but I I think they still. That's enough. Like I, I don't feel like I have to say, oh, isn't it cool to be a white person? Ha ha ha! I'm going to show you in this novel. No, we all know how cool it is to be a white person. Even if you're not a white person, you probably know how cool it is to be a straight white person. It is fantastic, but at the same time. Ours shouldn't be the only stories out there. That's dumb. That's crazy. And so I, I purposely try and write more diverse stories based on research and friends and, mm-hmm. and listening to the stories of the day. Well, like I said, having having read Blind Justice, I can say you, you at least for me, pulled it off very well. Thank you. Um, I'm glad you felt so. I do want to ask, so how did you get involved with the Ed Greenwood group? What brought you in? Well, Ed and I have been friends for a long time. I started writing um, Forgotten Realms novels. My first one came out in 2005. So 10 years ago, uh, about a week ago, 10 years ago, my first novel came out, Ghost Walker, full of white people, so many white people. Although one not white person who was a villain, but he was cool. So (laughs) you can see the underpinnings. Anyway, it got better from there. Don't worry. (laughs) And um, Ed really liked my book, which – it's not really that controversial because Ed legitimately really likes basically everything and everyone. That's kind of what Chris Jackson said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but I, I mean, it gave us this this um, familiar point of reference. So I could email him and say, "Hey, I'm writing this thing in the realms. What do you think about this?" And he would legitimately write back, you know, multiple page emails of like, "Oh, well, this is how you do this." And I, this is this is this, uh, multiple pages of sex toys in the realms. Not that you're going to use this in your novel, but here it is. I have that email in my uh, inbox somewhere. It's fantastic. Uh, mostly, mostly daggers that have different shaped hilts. Anyway, um, but so Ed and I had this shared point of reference, and so we we hung out at conventions for a while. Every year we'd see each other at Gen Con, and I'd come up to him and say, hey, I want to talk to you about that thing. And he's like, aha, that thing, which was always code for. I I have nothing to talk to you about, but let's talk. Until one day, he's like, yes, there is a thing. And I'm like, "What? what's the thing? And he said, well, come talk to me and my friend, and you'll have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So I did, and uh, I got involved in uh, this group, and it's been pretty fun. He has a great philosophy. It's it's very um, creator-focused, and he lets us authors run wild and do whatever we want, which is pretty cool and can get us into trouble sometimes. So I hired my own editor to, to, make, oh uh, to look through this, and it, uh, it I think it went better for it. Yeah. So. Um, so why Helmaw? I mean, obviously, it's the first setting. Was there anything in particular that drew you to the setting? You know, Ed just said the word Helma, and I said, Oh, pick me, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, me, Hey, you, would you like to write a Helma novel? And I'm like, Yes. And I'm like, Okay, great. Would you like to write a Pony Island Adventures novel? I'm like, Yeah. 
And he said, would you like to write this novel and this novel? And I'm like, uh-huh. So now I have like four novels that are going to come out from him with potential sequels of uh, various ones. Uh, there's a sequel to Blind Justice in the works, which yes. will come out in a couple of years. And um, I haven't really worked out a working title yet. I was tempted to call it Social Justice Assassin, but that might be a little bit too on the nose. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I have a space opera novel for Ed that I'm going to write, and I have a fantasy novel for Ed that I'm going to write. And of course, I have my own stuff that I'm writing too. I write well, yeah. a lot. Well, that's what you do when you're a writer. It is. So obviously, you said Helmaw. You said you're going to do Pony Island Adventures. Uh, what other right. settings? You mentioned space opera. Is that Lost Princesses of Mars? Or that is it that? is. I wasn't okay. sure if they had uh, named the setting publicly, but yes, Lost yeah. Princesses of Mars is the name of this great space opera setting that uh, Ed has concocted. Well, Ed, uh, I had an interview with him a couple months ago, and he mentioned it himself, so I figure it's safe. Fantastic. But uh, but a lot of it uh, is available on the public uh, yeah. site, so so yeah. Um, so is it just those three settings, or are there any others that have been tickling you starting out? It's just those three for Ed right now. Mm-hmm. Um, my... Over in my own work, I have um, been writing in the uh, World of Ruins setting, which is a creator-owned setting. I created it myself. Uh, the first novel, Shadow of the Winter King, came out last year. And the second novel, Shield of the Summer Prince, just came out a couple weeks ago. And uh, it's this kind of post-apocalyptic fantasy setting where magic stands in for uh, uh, technology, basically. Mm-hmm. So... There was a uh, magic, a great magical war that scarred the earth and left it inhospitable for most people for uh, hundreds or even thousands of years. And the only way people survived is by um, burrowing deep into uh, bunkers under the ground, kind of in a Fallout sort of way. I describe it as Game of Thrones meets Fallout, and that's sort of the, the feel of the setting. It's people struggling to survive in this world that's been tainted and uh, scarred by magic. And that's going to be, I think, four books when I'm all said and done. The second one just came out. The third one I have about half written. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, that actually sounds right up in my wheelhouse. I have to check that one out. Fantastic. Uh, what, what else? What else do you have out, Eric? What else? Hmm. Well, I did write five Forgotten Realms novels. I'm still hoping that Watsi will hire me to finish the Shadowbane series, which had three novels and is kind of intended as an ongoing series. It's not just a trilogy. It ends in a, in a very uh, cliffhanger sort of way, if you think of it as a trilogy. And I wrote a novel called Scourge of the Realm, which came out from... Uh, <laughs> it came out last year around the same time that uh, my first World of Ruin book came out. It's from uh, Broken Eye Books. They're a uh, small press here in Seattle mm-hmm. that does kind of a weird fiction speculative stuff, science fiction, fantasy. Uh, Clinton Boomer, if you know who that is, has written a couple of uh, stuff, a couple of things for them, including this great novel called um, The Hole Behind Midnight. It's kind of a, uh, well, we could describe it as erotica, but it's really a pretty pornographic sort of urban fantasy novel. It's it's very cool. Um, And my book, Scourge of the Realm, not to be confused with the Forgotten Realms, even though it uses the same word, uh, is a uh, happily never after story. So I'll give you the brief pitch. Stop me if you've heard this one. So 
a, a terrible evil controls an empire from the shadows behind the throne. A number of heroes arise from multiple walks of life, joining together in this band, going through these adventures, um, finding out who the main villain is, and finally confronting him, defeating him. Then the barbarian marries the princess, becomes the king, and they all live happily ever after. Yes? That sounds just like James Bond. No, wait, wait, wait. Exactly. <laughs> so my book takes place about ten years after that has happened. And... Uh, after the heroes, who are now the rulers of that kingdom, have succumbed to the evil magic that was being held in check by the evil villain who was controlling the kingdom from behind the throne, making them all into these horrible, horrible uh, despots and tyrants. And uh, the lesser princess, who would have been the NPC that you met in, like, say, Adventure 5, but uh, you didn't really click with her, so the DM decided to make her have a, another sister who is blonde, so you'd like her better. Uh, that woman, the dark-haired princess, has to flee the kingdom and find the only person who has enough power to oppose these terrible tyrants. And that would be the villain that they exiled in the first place. So they put together this team of various villains who would have been encountered throughout their uh, the adventures in the uh, first part of the campaign. Uh, to oppose the uh, now uh, villainous rulers, and uh, it's it's pretty cool, very dark. That High sounds... body count. I killed so many people in that novel. <laughs> How well did you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> While there are certain scenes there, I'm like, did I really write? That? I did. Wow. <laughs> it's another writer privilege, right? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, I mean, to this day, many people um, tell me that the most disturbing thing I have ever written is the prologue to my first novel, Ghostwalker, which is, not to put too fine a point on it, a group of grown men hunting down and murdering this boy, young boy like Ken, in the woods, like torturing him to death. This is the PG-13 Forgotten Realms novel, by the way. I just <laughs> want to put that out. And uh, I still wrote that, and people, like, they read that, and they're like, oh, my God. Ah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I like things dark. I can't I can't uh, pretend otherwise. The darkness creeps in there into my writing, Ugh. whether I try it or not. So you're just you're just a, a dark person yourself, right? I mean, because uh, in, in really, I don't know. In Blind Justice, you do some pretty dark stuff. Yeah, well, it it comes out in my in my fiction, but I don't think I myself am that dark person. Oh, that's good. That's good. I don't I don't actually go around killing people. Oh, okay, good. I yeah. just, just figured we should check. Yeah. Rainy. And, you know, I'm not a, not a criminal. I, like I said, I'm a very respectable, middle-class white dude. Married. I have a bunch of uh, cats and a dog. Live in Seattle. Don't, don't tell everybody that. They might you know, come hunt you down. Yeah. City <laughs> of uh, many, many millions of people. Start, Good luck. start chasing you through the buildings and then torture you in a PG-13 kind of way. Well, if as long as it's PG-13. <laughs> what is that like i throw a glass of water at you <laughs> so probably something like that maybe more like a tankard of water yeah it's my be... uh my more recent novels are uh up in the r range they're they're not pg-13 blind justice is not a novel for young people no it's not so if if your kid is really interested readers uh readers and audience and listeners if your kids are interested in reading a novel that has my interesting name on it. 
please read it yourself first and determine whether the content is suitable. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Well, that's why they call it PG-13, right? Parental guidance. Yes. Mine is a hard PG-13. Or is it please get 13 of them? I think that might, I think that might <laughs> be, be it. Could be. <laughs> yes. Is there anything else that you want to go over, Eric, or have we kind of covered everything? Uh, well, I think we've um, covered most things. I also do some game design, although I haven't done that really recently. You'll find my name on a couple of uh, Doves and Dragons products and a little bit of Iron Kingdom stuff from Privateer Press. Ooh. Yeah, I, I really like that setting. I keep trying to write fiction for them, and they keep like not getting back to me. Uh, but, I mean, I have a lot of projects going on, so I can wait. <laughs> well, so where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, ericscottdebee.com would be my website. Uh, it recently went through a crash and override sort of situation, and I am rebuilding it. So it's a little, uh, it's a little, uh, thin. But I'm going to, uh, be putting up some, uh, good blind justice stuff. It currently talks a lot about my, uh, world of ruin setting. Excellent. Uh, do you have anything up on Audible? All my Forgotten Realms novels should be on Audible. I believe you can also get the Blind Justice novel on Audible. Mm-hmm. Um, the tag people are doing that. Yep. Uh, I know you can pre-order Audible Blind Justice on Barnes & Noble. You probably can on Amazon mm-hmm. as well. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I, it is going to be an Audible book. They asked uh, specifically for a pronunciation guide. <laughs> That's probably a good thing considering some of the names in there. I try to write character names so that it's obvious how you're supposed to pronounce them, so that it's it's pretty clear. But uh, yeah, some of them, it, it was just good to uh, get really clear. Yeah, I do too. But one thing I've found is like just say okay for my listeners, me and me and Aaron, me and my co-host, I am so Germanically minded when it comes to language and names that when I write a name, every letter is pronounced. She is so like um, Gaelicly minded that when she writes a word when she writes a name like there like there's diphthongs up the wazoo and i look at her names and i'm like how many vowels can you have in a name so pronunciation guides yeah just it's probably a good thing because i'll yeah, go definitely. in there and look at a name and think it's pronounced completely differently but again it's just kind of a matter of where your head is i guess which is interesting yeah to me. yeah well and some of my earlier work particularly Ghostwalker, had <laughs> Oh man, I broke so many fantasy rules about names. Apostrophes. Every character in that novel, their name has a Y in it. Every character. Oh. It's crazy. Well, there are like two that don't, and then it stands out very, very clearly. Um, and there are a couple with apostrophes. And I look back on that now, and I'm like, oh man, I would have done that differently. I have a whole list of things I would have done differently about that novel. Yeah, but that's but how you it do. still stands up pretty well. I, it's just how it happens, you know. That's how you grow. You're right. You evolve. Your style changes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to bring this to a close. I uh, do really appreciate you being on here, Eric. Well, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a good time. And everybody go pick up a copy of Blind Justice wherever fine books are sold, mostly at Amazon. But I can guarantee you it is a good read. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us 
themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff. <laughs>